Welcome to FieldLink. I'm your host, Bill Smith. 70% of the world's fresh water supply is utilized by agriculture today, but some 60% is wasted due to poor irrigation, inefficient irrigation practices, and certain cultivation practices. Many watersheds across the U.S. are being depleted as the demand for food increases with our growing population. On today's podcast, we visit with Helena Brand Manager Austin Anderson and Helena Products Manager Gene Malding from Texas about the new solution to help growers better manage their water resources with a product called ResGenix. This new innovation from the Helena Products Group has been nominated as a finalist for the product of the year from Farm Journal's Scoop magazine and is primed to help producers reduce the need for extra irrigation and support dry land acres across the United States. Be sure to click the link below to vote for ResGenix as product of the year for Scoop magazine. Plus, Jody Lawrence joins us from Nashville. Stay tuned for this episode of FieldLink. And welcome back to FieldLink. I'm your host, Bill Smith. And uh, joining us today in the studio here in Memphis is uh, Helena Brand Manager, Austin Anderson. Austin, welcome to FieldLink. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. All right. And also uh, joining us uh, remotely from West Texas is Gene Malding. He's a Helena product manager. Gene, welcome to FieldLink. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Hey, guys. I'm really excited to have you both here uh, talking about this exciting product, ResGenix. Uh, ResGenix is a, a, is a wonderful tool, and we're going to dive into the weeds on ResGenix, what it does and what it, kind of value it can bring to growers. But this product has been selected as a finalist for Product of the Year uh, for 2023 by uh, the Scoop magazine by Farm Journal, and uh, growers are going to be able to go online here in the next uh, 30 to 60 days and vote for ResGenix if they feel this is a you know, the most interesting product that's being brought to agriculture in 2023. So we want to set that up uh, for folks to take a good look at that online at AgWeb as well as the Scoop magazine. But joining us, as I mentioned, is uh, Austin Anderson. Uh, Austin, welcome to FieldLink. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. So Austin, let's talk a little bit about ResGenix, kind of the history of that product, how it's come forth, and, and really talk a little bit about the value that it's bringing growers in a very unique way. Well, our journey with ResGenix really started back in 2018 or 2019 when uh, we really saw a, a water management tool space that was really, really clunky, hard to work with, just required a bunch of special equipment. And so uh, the folks here at our lab here in Memphis, you know, we decided that we really wanted to bring this sort of technology up to the 21st century, and uh, ResGenix is the product that we got. And so uh, ResGenix, what it is, is it's a, it's a really easy-to-use revitalized polyacrylamide technology uh, that is designed to help increase water infiltration on heavy soils, helps reduce crusting in certain situations. What I mean by that, like just soil crusting that comes from... Uh, water you know early in the season and gets hot so it impacts emergence it really helps us increase our holding capacity on some of these sandy soils so it's really one of those unique things where uh you know it's not necessarily treating the water or making the water wetter but what it is doing is really help helping uh increase the quality of soil that you have and being able to uh take advantage of every drop of water that you do get whether you're 
through irrigation or through uh, just regular old rainfall. So it helps us be able to maximize every inch that we get. Yeah, I think that's a really great point as far as this isn't a product just for the grower that's irrigating out there. It can be for a producer that's, you know, definitely in the dryland acre uh, where they could maybe utilize an application of this type of product and stretch it out. Stretch out that time, Austin, that moisture, maybe string it out another week, two, three weeks in a critical time. Well, you think about how flexible Resgenics is. You know, it's compatible with a lot of different uh, fertilizers, a lot of herbicides, fungicides, insecticides, you name it. It really mixes easy with it. So it's nothing that you have to create an extra step for. But, you know, being able to make sure that we're avoiding those stresses and being able to help with that plant during the critical times of the year where it really helps make more yield is something that Resgenics has done a really good job with so far. Yeah, you said something very powerful. It mixes well and mixes easy with other products. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, man. So uh, when we uh, started our journey with Resgenics, those of you that are familiar out there with uh, water management tools, it required special pumps. It could only go out with water. You had a situation where it could only go out with, you know, I guess through irrigation systems, you know, whether it's pushing it through drip tape or putting it through overhead irrigation, it was something that was just really a really good, really clunky process. But, you know, with Resgenics and us being able to bring this technology, you know, to the 21st century, it's allowed us to be basically uh, the only people in the market that are that are able to go with different herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides. Yeah, that's really a really important point there. Let's pull in uh, Gene Malling. Gene, tell us a little bit about your experience. You had a number of fields out in West Texas this year. Tell us how uh, Resgenics worked for you and your producers. Well, out here in West Texas, we are limited by rainfall in an in a arid climate, so I really jumped on this product and tried to get it out with some of our producers out here. We put We had five test plots around my territory in the panhandle of Texas and down off towards the Guadalupe Mountains over towards El Paso area in West Texas. And this product performed just like Austin said it would. I was kind of shocked going back to earlier products, knowing how difficult they were to work with. But we put this product up against everything. We mixed it with competitive fertilizer, competitive chemistry that other growers were using, and we put it out through spray rigs, through pivots, through drip irrigation. We kind of put it put it to the test just to kind of see what it would do. And then on all of our test plots, we had treated and untreated moisture probes in the ground that would record instantly everything that happened across there. We contracted with a third party to do that for us. And it turned out great. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't ask for anything better from this product coming out and trying to get it positioned in the market. It's it did everything that they said it would do. It helped retain that water. We were getting root growth down further than the untreated. The untreated would eventually catch it as far as taking moisture up from from a depth of 18, 22 inches, but it was 30 days behind the treated side. And so getting that moisture down in the ground a whole lot faster is just, it's kind of priceless out here in this arid climate. And then once I got the final report back from Forefront Agronomy, who was our third party researcher, they, they showed that we were actually helping with salinity issues that we face out here from our wells going 
shallower and shallower, the salt content in the water keeps building up. And we're able to flush that out a whole lot faster than just using regular irrigation or even with natural rainfall that's able to flush those salts out of the reading zone a lot faster and so that's been beneficial to us we've looked at it we just started doing some dig tests on peanuts where we had it with moisture probes and then the farmer liked what he saw so he went out there and he put it on even more fields of his and we had it out there 45 days it's been out there we just dug the other day last week and it was out there over 45 days, and the digger loss that the farmer's reporting is like $126 an acre less when using this product. They did another field that had been on there within the label time constraints, which is about 30 days that you see this product start to kind of kind of peter out. And it was within that window, and they were seeing $176 on digger loss so they're getting more of the peanuts into the bin and out of the field which is which is huge when you have a 700 a ton peanut contract and so it's more than just a a water management tool it actually helps with the tilth of the soil and watching these grown men walk out across there and walk across the field and see it feels like concrete up under your feet and then you hit the treated side and boom you sink down three or four inches and putting huge boot prints in the ground and going out there and digging. It just, it's an amazing product and it's should be very, very useful for us in many ways out here in West Texas. Well, that's some interesting uh, insight there, Gene. Obviously you did a lot of research. You committed a lot of time and energy to this brand as we rolled it out this year. And it sounds like, you know, from what you're talking about, it's beyond water management. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on there. Certainly water management is critical, but it's all these other things to your point, managing, you know, the salinity. These are some of the side benefits that we've seen, and as well as some of the uh, the soil texture, as you mentioned. Austin, are you seeing that across the country and other spots as well? Oh, yeah, man. You know, uh, whether we've tested it down in the southeast or the southwest or the northeast or the northwest, you know, at all, even in the Midwest, I want to shout out to those guys for helping us get this stuff off the ground, too. And this has just been one of those things where, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? You know, so we've had... We've had minimum of two years worth of testing so far on this brand to be able to make sure that we're bringing that brand promise and really being able to understand exactly, you know, what it is that uh, Resgenics is bringing to the farmer and all those good things. And, you know, right now we're just at the tip of the iceberg of all the benefits that we've been able to see so far. And, you know, the more tests that we get out, the more value added benefits that we see really kind of come out tenfold like what Gene's seeing out in the field. So, Gene, uh, tell us a little bit about application. Let's dive back there a little bit. You mentioned you, uh, I believe, had it through some irrigation and then maybe just some over the top, too. Can you walk us through that process? Uh, yes, sir. So the first field that we put out was right down the road from where I live and where my farm is. It was on a friend of mine, and he was putting out fertilizer through a spray rig. And they were just using a streaming bar, streaming nozzles on there, and we mixed it. With 32, and I don't remember everything that was in that blend, but it was a wild blend. We did a little jar test and then put it through there. The applicator was a little nervous. We were going to clog up his hot alder John Deere spray rig, but he came back after that first load, said everything flowed perfect. We did another load and and went on from there. And so they were seeing the, the same same results there. The next thing that we did was on my farm, 
and we put it out through, through a center pivot. And we just used a regular fertilizer pump to put that product out. And it flowed easy, primed the pump, the pump, got it set to the correct setting. When we timed the sprinkler, we put it out with a quarter inch of water so that we would minimize the time that we had a pump running with nobody there watching it and walked it across the field really fast and then followed it back up with an inch of, inch of irrigation through the pivot and didn't have any issues there. I mean, everything has been kind of seamless with this with this product. We're going to look next year at going in furrow on a couple of fields that have really bad salt issues to try to move that salt away. So I'll have more to report next year as far as going in furrow. And then also we're going to run something through a strip till with some of the guys that have already won it, that have already used it. Hey, thanks year. for having me, Bill. Oh, excellent. Austin, what other applications have you seen? You know, certainly Gene talked about fertilizer through the center pivot. What other types of applications have you seen? Uh, uh, so uh, what we've seen, especially season? in the vegetable market under plastic with some uh, drip tape uh, sort of application. So really being helped to really helping to help push some of that, those micronutrients and things into those root zones, whether it's, you know, micronutrients or you look at even some cases, fungicides or insecticides. Uh, being able to get that into the root zone, make sure they're more readily available and right there where the plant can take it up. So that's been a good way. You know, like Gene said, we've seen it go out with various amounts of ag chem products, you know, through a traditional spray rig, all sorts of ways. Uh, we're even looking at it in some uh, row water situations, you know, polypipe irrigation. So to help with some erosion, to be able to make sure that we're not washing all the soil down to the other end of the field and Stuff like that. So that's really been something that we're we're really able to take advantage of. And I think this product uh, from, you know, we talked a little bit about it this summer, has a great fit for multiple different applications. You know, we talk an awful lot about irrigation, but again, to the dryland person out there uh, that's got some acres out there that, you know, things kind of get right on the edge of the dryland area. Maybe things get a little drier like in August. We talked about soybean applications. What a great, you know, companion at that time, maybe with a fungicide or something. Well, I think that's a great opportunity. And, you know, what I think about for the dryland guys is how can I help maintain that moisture when I need it the most? And so to where I'm not putting all my eggs in the basket of that, hey, I need this late season rain to help fill out those pods or help finish out that ear. You know, it's it's an opportunity for us to be able to take one less thing off of a grower's plate from the standpoint of, you know, hey, we're helping you manage your moisture in your soil to where we can alleviate that, some of that heat stress, maybe that drought stress that a grower may be facing late times in the season where, you know, really when you're trying to put bushels in the bin, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think of applications, you know, just putting your agronomic hat on, you know, think about green or, you know, a critical time during pollination or maybe uh, uh, when that uh, ear is setting on corn and how, when it's setting, uh, you know, how many rows around it's going to be. Oh, yeah. What a great time. Well, I think you got an opportunity at planting, you know, like Gene was talking about earlier, like through some of these in-furrow application or strip-till rigs where we can help standardize emergence as best we can. You know, we're already treating our seeds. So, you know, we're investing at that plant emergence. And so the more plants you can have come up, the more consistent your yield has the chance to be across your across your field. Uh, I think about uh, V4, V5 applications in corn where, you know, like you said, about determining the rows around and rows long of the kernels. So being able to help mitigate some stress there. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're looking at that R1 application, 
you know, where these fungicide passes, where you're really just trying to finish some things up. So right. with the flexibility of all that and how Regenix fits in those situations is, you know, hey, it's no more no more trips across the field. You know, you can throw it in there. It's a good drift control agent. You know, we've been able to see that through all the through all the wind tunnel testing we've done. So uh, it's a really good, flexible product that can really fit and help mitigate stress all season. Yeah, and I, I keep coming back to the flexibility with this product and multiple crops as well. Uh, you know, we've we, Gene, Gene talked about peanuts. He's talked a little bit about cotton. We just talked about corn and soybeans. Turf. Turf is a huge uh, application for this product. Absolutely. You know, managing water and being able to manage disease and that sort of stuff. So, you know, being able to keep those, either the sod healthy, you know, and being able to make sure that we're able to take advantage of all that and keep those uh, keep those growers satisfied from being able to water as much as they can, but also not having standing water at the same time. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a lot of high-profile professional sports organizations that have taken a look at Resgenics, putting on their sports fields, where they spend a lot of money in, in water management and just, just production because they're raising turf. Oh, yeah. Well, you think you think of the day and age that we're all in now, whether it's a golf course where, you know, you're limited by, you know, areas where you've got standing water, it's not really aesthetically pleasing, you know, like whether you're watching the event on TV and you've got standing water or you think about all those tee times that you miss. Uh, think about all the, the work that goes on to a baseball field or football field or et cetera, you know, when you got standing water. So, you know, you just you're able to really make things a little bit better and for a whole user experience. Gene, as you kind of get ready to turn the page, uh, close this chapter out in 23 and look into 24, what does the future for Resgenics look like for you in West Texas? Well, before I hit on that real quick, Bill, I wanted to touch on something Austin was talking about on other opportunities out there. We have a, we have a farmer that is putting it on his carrots to get those to help with uh, the tilt of the soil so when they dig, they come out cleaner and they don't carry as much dirt back. We have it on potato fields over here, and the guy noticed there was a whole lot less dirt taken back to the potato shed to be cleaned off of the potatoes. We have it on a huge polo club out here is actually using it on their 40 acres of grass for their for their polo fields. And so there's there's tons of opportunity out here. And 2024 and beyond is going to be the doors wide open for this product. We are already getting orders for this product. And the neatest thing about it, I was meeting with one of my locations the other day, and they have growers that are turning in orders, and they will take, bring in a shuttle of Resgenics, and then they'll mix it into a clean shuttle on the rate that the guys want to go with. So all they have to do is take a tote out to the field for the farmer and tell them, okay, put this in there. You're going at 10 gallons per acre. Here's your rate that you need. Instead of having to send a whole tote out where it's a whole 265 gallon tote will do, you know, a decent amount of acres. They can go ahead and kind of pre-mix it for these guys and they can just suck it in. It kind of eliminates the user error so that if you are having to mix it with chemistry, you eliminate that, that user error where you get, too big a droplets if they accidentally put in too much. And so there's a bunch of bunch of things that we're doing out here, but it's it's going to be fun. There's been a lot of orders turned in for this product. Yeah, uh, Gene, you bring up a really great point. You know, like any product, the more we handle it, the more we touch it, the more creative we get. And uh, sounds like you're kind of going down that path of looking for some opportunities where we can continue to make this product, you know, efficient for a lot of growers, but but convenient, and I think that's really important, isn't it, Austin? Oh yeah, 
So talk to us a little bit about some of the vegetable growers I know that you've touched base on earlier. What kind of performance are we seeing from those folks? Right now, uh, we're, I guess we're waiting for some data to come back and stuff like that just because we're in the heat of some of these harvest uh, situations. But, you know, we're seeing overall plant health benefits. You know, we're starting to see, you know, just overall stress management. So regardless of the crop, you know, we're able to help use a little bit less water. So, you know, less water means more less disease pressure in a lot of cases. So being able to use that, but being able to efficiently use that, you know, and being able to mitigate stress of those key period, periods of time has really been good for us. Uh, Gene, what other things have you picked up uh, as it relates to resgenics? What are some of the things that you referenced, one of the researchers out there, third-party researchers? Uh, what's he saying about resgenics? He really likes the product. He, he's in agreement that it does what HBG told us it was going to do. We're going to look at it again with him next year with his moisture probes and just kind of build more and more confidence with this product tested on different crops, different areas, and just see, kind of keep putting it through the test, through the ringer, just so that we have the hands-on experience with it and the confidence in the product so we can be confident in our recommendations to people as this product gets out more and more across across the country and hopefully into other countries where they need to they need to manage their water a little bit better, but he's he's been really thrilled with the product and is enjoying going through all the different data points that he's collected. You know, Gene, tell us generally speaking about the environment this year in West Texas. Was it considered a pretty dry year for you compared to other years? Well, we went from really dry to drowning, full of irrigation or full of rain. Good Lord blessed us with a ton of rain in May. And then we were blessed with not temperatures over 99 degrees for more than 50 days. Mm-hmm. I mean, first part of June, it was in the hundreds and it just kind of stayed there. And so it was hot and dry the majority of the year. Very, very few parts of my territory in the panhandle ended up with any type of rainfall events over the summertime. And so it really helped us take a crop and, and keep it going and let the irrigation get there. And you could see that in a lot of the test plots. We're waiting for the cotton test plots to come out. Some of it's been harvested, but we haven't been able to look at the data yet just to see what's what's to come of it. Yeah, and I really wanted to bring that up because it was a fairly dry year for most of the season for you out, out West Texas. And what a good test for resgenics in that kind of environment, both on, as you mentioned, some of the irrigation situations there, and you're still seeing positive results. That's the kind of test we want to see with a product like resgenics. Well, I can tell you another thing that I witnessed on my own farm when I went behind the corn silage trucks and the choppers that came across, I had, I hooked onto the subsoiler and I could bury that subsoiler in the ground all the way up to the toolbar and pull it with my tractor four miles an hour and it would go through there. I had another field that had resgenics on the corn and nothing on the milo. And when I went through the milo field that was hailed out, you couldn't even get the subsoiler to take the to take them round. It would go down about two to three inches and that was it. And so I was curious, so I pulled the tractor over to where the line is and ran it down the line and the right side of the subsoiler would take the ground and go down almost to the toolbar. I'd have to raise it back up so I didn't tear anything up. But it just, if you're going into tillage late season after after you get your crop out, 
this you don't have to sit there and wait for a rain. All the rest of my acres, I've been sitting there waiting on a rain so that I could go in and till it. And we we still haven't had very many rains. You know, that's one of those other benefits that we talk about that we often learn about when we launch a product like Resgenics is these other side benefits. And you now you take a product, product like, like your story right there. When you're pulling deep pillage like that and, and you can fly through that soil a little easier, uh, that's typically less diesel. And uh, I don't know, the price of diesel today, that, that's a cost savings that we often overlooked. And, 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 and Gene, you shared a great story with the carrot grower and the potato grower. Hauling less dirt, you know, to town is a pretty big deal when you're hauling, again, coming back to fuel and energy and time and resources. Uh, the, these are things we can't always put a price on, but we know it's there. Yes, sir. It, uh, that potato grower, he actually was so impressed with the product that he's putting it on his wheat acres this year. And that's where we have more tests coming out. We grow a bunch of cowboy wheat out here, which is just wheat that's planted for grazing. There's a lot of wheatage grown out here for all the feedlots and the dairies. And then we also have just cover wheat out here that we're testing it on. And if you can keep cover wheat, which you have, you figure $30 an acre in wheat seed and tillage and planting if you can get that stuff up and growing and hold the ground together for when the springtime gets here and we get our 70 80 mile an hour winds that's a huge benefit when you don't have your topsoil blowing away and then these guys that are growing cowboy weed if you can keep that plant continually growing and not shutting down in between rain events then you can get cows on there earlier. You can put more cows on there with the right fertilizer package. And so it's it's kind of limitless as to what this product can do and the different uses for this product. Yeah, Austin, it, it seems like listening to Gene and talking to other product managers and uh, uh, agronomists uh, that have touched this product throughout this last year, no matter where you're at, there's a pretty good chance there might be a nice fit for Resgenics into most operations. Well, I think... You know, uh, all the testimonials from Gene and some of his customers and all the growers that we've been able to touch all across this year has just really been around, you know, the foundational premise that, you know, this is revitalized technology. This isn't just something out there that helps make water wetter or, or things like that. This is really has some activity in the soil from the standpoint to help improve all of your acres. So, you know, allowing people to produce more with less water is a good is a good a segue into this topic, but being able to ultimately make, you know, the growers out here that we're serving, you know, produce more, right? Produce more, make more money, all those good things. It really just helps us be able to help our customers. And so this is something we've really, we've really been able to hone in on and really be able to really get done over the course of the uh, process of developing this product. Yeah. And, and what's really neat is when we think about the word sustainability, Resgenics really hits a home run for helping us be more sustainable with our water. You know, 70% of the fresh water across the world today is committed towards agriculture. And if we can help maybe reduce that a little bit, at the same time doing some of these other benefits, like Gene pointed out, you know, reducing, reducing the dirt on, on potatoes or carrots or allowing for more feed uh, for cattle production, that's a home run. Well, just being able to have more access to that 70%, right? So think about how much time, you know, we spend 
irrigating and doing those things, and we ultimately don't get to use it, right? So think about water evaporation. Think about all those sorts of things with erosion and you know, it just allows us to be able to use our resources in the in the best way possible and be able to take full advantage of those resources. And so that's just really been the name of the game for Resgenic. So, you know, uh, being able to make sure that, you know, we can be efficient, we can be effective and all those sort of things, that's just kind of the name of the game at HPG. You bet. Well, with that, uh, I want to thank both of you for joining us here on this episode of FieldLink. Uh, Gene Mulling in West Texas, Austin Anderson here, and uh, brand manager here in Memphis. I want to thank you all for joining us here on this episode of FieldLink as we introduce ResGenics to the marketplace. And welcome back to FieldLink. I'm your host, Bill Smith. Uh, joining us today from Nashville is Jody Lawrence and his son, Brady Lawrence. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, harvest progress, Jody. We've got 71% of the corn harvested right now being reported across the U.S. 85% of the soybeans are being harvested. And uh, we got a whole lot going on around the world uh, as it relates to we've got a war taking place right now in Israel. Hamas, that's certainly impacting our grain markets. We've got some insurance deadlines coming up as well as a little bit of weather down in South America going to impact some of our markets. And finally, certainly some oil impact. So, uh, Jody, welcome here to uh, FieldLink. Thank you, Bill. It's good to be back. And uh, with everybody, I hope having a a safe and successful harvest season to this point. I know I've talked to a bunch of people who are finished and in the bin with uh, a lot of you this recent turn of uh, cold weather, winter, hitting us hard over the last four or five days from the northern plains to the delta to the east coast has uh, changed uh, it'd be bundling up for halloween tonight for sure yeah definitely uh definitely bundle up um, i'm on the road today heading to the national ffa convention in indianapolis indiana so uh jody it's definitely bundle up time here on halloween as we're recording this but Let's jump right into the markets. What's going on across the market? Well, the the biggest thing right now in the U.S. is harvest progress. Beans are at 85 percent. Corn's at 71 percent. And while I am hearing uh, really good yields out of the eastern Corn Belt, I've talked to many farmers in central Illinois that are uh, very, very pleased that they have record fields uh, several of them have record across the farm yields. So those are always good to hear because it's a, that's such an accomplishment to be able to do that because this year's weather, wildly inconsistent from the dry start to the dry finish to the hot dry in the middle to uh, really the extended uh, growing season that we had because this is the first real tweak of winter. And uh, but when you get everywhere else, everything is fairly consistent. If you get northern plains, northern Corn Belt, western Corn Belt, uh, they their inconsistencies did show up in their final yields, the inconsistencies of the weather. So we're comfortable with the 173 and the 49 and a half USDA yields in the last report in, uh, in October. We will get a an update. The November report is usually not a major market mover, but we'll get one of those in about 10 days that they will tweak a couple of their columns. But right now, the expectation is that everything should be done by November and the January report 
always looms out there. It's hard to believe that we're just uh, two months away from New Year's Eve and uh, Christmas just a short week before that. So uh, the, the year is winding down, but everything really uh, coming together pretty well when you look at the scope of the weather and all the world events. You've got uh, December corn hanging in just under $5. You have November beans hovering right about uh, just a little under 13 So the prices aren't terrible. They're reflective, not so much of uh, a huge yield in the U.S., but of still dragging demand. The long tail from Brazil's record corn and bean crops are still impacting world prices. And the Russia-Ukraine wheat developments have been uh, really hard to follow. And, and it still looks like both of them, Ukraine's having uh, better success, but it's still not 100% of pre-war activity. And Russia is just swamping the world with cheap wheat. And wheat cannot gain any traction at all until you have Russia run out of wheat and the corn market the same till Brazil runs out of corn. So that's basically the international uh, overview on those. Yeah, and Jody, uh, Ukraine's still able to export a fair amount of their crops despite all of the turmoil uh, throughout the Black Sea. Is that correct? Yes, and I think if you look at what they're getting out, it you, you have to start doing what I would call comparative math, that their yields are down uh, anywhere from 40 to 50 percent from pre-invasion. And then when you say that their exports are down 50 percent from last year, two years ago, that tells me that they're able to export of their exportable crop, almost 100 percent of it, whether it's going by rail through Europe, whether it's going down their kind of newly developed east coast, or excuse me, the, it would be the west coast of the Black Sea that they're getting them out, uh, that, you know, they're getting out all the wheat that they need to. So I think the, the world looks at it and they see a 50% number and that somehow wheat should rally on that number. But the reality is they're exporting everything that they have and can and with Russia's huge supply and all the, their availability of so many other people to get it through and their North Sea ports and North Atlantic ports, the world's got plenty of wheat. And that, you know, we've talked about this before, that the Russian-Ukraine war we thought would be the biggest disruption in world agricultural logistics that we've seen in, you know, lifetimes. And it just hasn't turned out that way. The only thing we do have con concern about as we try to refill all the pipelines for inputs for fall field work, winter field work, and then for putting in the crop in the spring is what's going to happen in China and Russia and how that's going to affect fertilizer prices. We are seeing a little bit of an uptick the past few weeks, and that probably has as much to do with the uncertainty of what's going on in the Middle East and the amount of uh, product that comes out of the, the neighboring countries to the Israel, Hamas, Palestine, that whole region that looks like they're going to start, uh, you know, uh, just a, a long campaign and deepening war on a smaller scale, but certainly similar to Russia and Ukraine. Right. And, and certainly creating a lot of chaos and uncertainty in that region and the spillover regions, as you mentioned, you touched on China, certainly uh, 
you know, certainly some uncertainty there as they participate in some of the negotiations with Israel as well as Russia, Iran, just a whole lot of question marks hanging out there. It's certainly going to impact producers as it relates to fertilizer and as we look into 2024. Jody, let's pivot slightly, you know, kind of from that same region. We certainly have a huge impact when it comes to energy, specifically around oil. How is some of this, uh, again, I'm just going to call it regional turmoil, going to impact producers as it relates to oil prices as we slide into 24? Well, in the middle of all of this, the geopolitical issues that people are concerned about is, as you watch oil, it's really been trading violently day by day between 80 and $90 a barrel. And that is because Hamas, being a Muslim group, is backed by Iran and Iraq. And they, they have a lot of tentacles on who is funding that. And with Israel and the Jewish state being large ally of the rest of the free world, U.S. in particular, the energy markets have been reacting to concern if the war is to spread, if Iraq or Iran get involved and then the U.S. gets involved with more sanctions on oil shipments, especially out of Iran. You have a lot of potential things that could tighten available supplies heading into winter again and that's why you look up yesterday, we had a, a relatively calm weekend. Crude oil was down $3.50 a barrel. And now today it's up 50 or 60 cents a barrel in rebound because the world is using it as we're seeing through all the U.S. economic numbers that keep coming out. And the Federal Reserve is meeting again this week to decide on interest rate policy. But the crude oil and the energy markets are going to have at a slow news time of the year, a very uh, overweighted impact on how corn, beans, and wheat trade just about every day. Yeah, definitely a lot of geo uh, influence, geopolitical influence, certainly going to impact producers, whether it's real or not, in terms of supply demand for grain, uh, the, oil, the oil narrative definitely is going to be hanging over us. Really, the only other thing out there, and I'll finish up before you ask Brady a couple questions, is you look at South American weather, and right now you divide it up because their growing area is so large north to south. You really have to talk about the three different regions as different, you know, completely different production areas. Northern Brazil still mired very much in a drought there seeding, winter seeding, or summer spring seeding, excuse me, is well behind normal simply because they don't have the moisture in the ground to want to advance the uh, planting pace. Southern Brazil has been heavily inundated in this. They've had a really strange monsoon season to where they're getting 10, 12 inches of rain a week. But you have to take that again with a grain of salt. They are in the Amazon. So when we hear 10 to 12 inches, we think flooding and washed out fields, and they're certainly able to deal with it a little bit better because that's just their normal weather pattern. Although it's a little excessive, they're still used to wet weather. And Argentina is finally, after two and a half, three years, beginning to see some pattern change back to more normal precipitation on a regular basis. And their planting is a little bit behind, but the rain over the last uh, few days has certainly helped. And right now, there's no real 
weather story because it's too early in the South American production timeline. Think about where we are. We're uh, heading into November, so we add six months to that. Uh, the, you know, they're in their January, February, March. They're, they're in their, you know, April, early May time frame. And uh, you think about it, you want to get planting done, but it's really hard to uh, put a crop under a lot of stress and, and count on taking bushels, adding or subtracting them this early in the crop cycle. So that's what we're looking at. There just isn't a lot. And you can tell that by looking at corn, uh, December corn stuck between 480 and five and five dollars, basically almost, uh, you know, most weeks for the last uh, two and a half months. And that really tells the story of what's going on in all of our markets. You've had a lot happening down there. Kind of a sit and wait right now as it relates to uh, Brazil and Argentina in terms of weather, how what that impact's really going to look like here probably in the next few weeks to several, next month or so, uh, how that'll set us up for 24 uh, revenue. Jody, let's. Uh, I'm going to pivot over to uh, Brady. Uh, Brady Lawrence joining us also. Brady, uh, welcome to FieldLink. Brady, just want to touch with you a little bit on the cotton progress. Uh, lot, lots of chatter right now in terms of demand for cotton. How's that sitting as we kind of look, you know, wrap 23 up in terms of this cotton cop and as we start to set the stage for 24? What are you learning? Yeah, so cotton, as always, depends when you get the rain, if you get the rain at all. So there's a lot of places, West Texas, that didn't or, you know, everywhere that's irrigated, they're happy with their crop as always. But ultimately this year, the story's been demand. Apparently we've had this big looming recession worldwide that people have been talking about for over a year now that when there's that lack of demand, maybe kind of coming from China starts to worry some people. And then the supply side, Right now, there's plenty out there because of there's a lack of demand. But looking forward, a lot of the Xinjiang cotton companies are saying, no, we're not touching it. So in China, they are actually looking at alternatives in the region to maybe grow wheat or any other crop that is suitable for the region that they can at least get something out of the land to help improve their exports. And that would in turn drive more demand to U.S. cotton. But at the same time, it's one of those wait till it happens before anything crazy goes goes on. So long story short, it looks like as it relates to cotton, we've just got a huge supply right now and, and really no demand. Yeah. Until the whole world economic situation gets settled and you know cooler heads prevail, hopefully, then we'll actually get a better idea of here's how much we have. Here's the demand. Let's go. There's too much up and down. And China's the only buyer now with issues in the Middle East. It can get a little hairy. Yeah. With uh, the concerns of a global depression kind of hanging over us, I assume, you know, people are thinking food first and then obviously cotton clothing would be a second demand. So hence it's kind of taking a little bit of the back burner right now in the marketplace. Yes, absolutely. Jody, as we kind of take a look at uh, wrapping up the month of October, we've got some big deadlines coming up, coming up very soon as it relates to crop insurance. 
What do growers need to be thinking about as it relates to crop insurance? The fall price average will be set with today's close. And just by judging everything, everybody can kind of figure that the fall crop average or the insurance average for corn is going to be just a little over 488 a bushel, while beans are going to be right about 1285. And those are the ones where you have got to put into your spreadsheet and your calculator. Uh, you go back to the, the 591 and three quarters for December, uh, for December corn back in the February average and 1376 for beans that you have got to with corn significantly below it, you know, over a dollar below it and beans about uh, 75, 80 cents below it, you have to go in and figure out if your yield uh, and your amount of coverage that you took, whether it's 75, 80 or 85, is going to put you in that sweet spot to where you may get a little revenue protection on the insurance that you bought. So that's going to be an important calculation coming up. I encourage everybody that bought revenue and did have some yield loss to uh, please check with your insurance agent because that's what their commission is uh, paying them to do to make sure that you have all the information at hand but uh, you certainly have some opportunity if you are if you did not quite get to your trend line yield numbers uh, definitely some great advice there sharpen up the pencils and work with your crop insurance professional to find out if you uh, are, are setting yourself up for uh, some revenue there uh, Jody and Brady want to thank you both for joining us today on this FieldLink episode. Thanks so much and have a, a great harvest. Thank you for including us, Bill. Everybody be safe. Be sure to click below on Scoop Magazine's Product of the Year and vote for Isgenics as your Product of the Year. Thanks for joining us on this episode of FieldLink. To learn more about ResGenics, check out our website at HelenaAgra.com or contact your Helena representative.